you, Lord. We thank you for giving us a time to gather here this morning. And, Lord, we are so blessed with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as, as we were worshiping today, um, there was such a sweet movement and sweep of the Spirit of Jesus here in this place. Um, and, and I know that some of you may not have uh, perceived it. And it, I think it has to do a little bit with this, this notion, you know, uh, set your heart, set your head aside and feel. Now, the problem with that lyric is that um, feeling can be a two-edged sword. Sometimes you feel good and sometimes you don't. And sometimes we mistakenly uh, misperceive the presence of God because we're not feeling Him. And uh, feelings have very little to do with it. But they do muck things up, if you know what I mean. Um, so the presence of Jesus is just strong here in this place right now. And yet I know that there are some of you who may, for whatever reason, circumstances uh, or uh, 10,000 other things, would really like to have prayer uh, for something in your life. And I want to say that the Spirit of Jesus is His tear moving. And if you want prayer without you sharing, divulging, uh, risking anything with anybody around you, um, we just want to pray for you for just one minute. So if you want prayer, I want you just to stand up where you are. And that isn't to say anything other than, I want prayer. You know the song, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. <laughs> well, that's a lot of us. So um, those of you who, who aren't standing, if you would now come around those who are. And there are some up there in the balcony, so some of you might have to turn around to see them. And those in front and back. And what you want you to do is just put your hand on their shoulder or whatever might be appropriate. And let's just pray for a moment. Can we do that? If you don't have somebody touching you, raise your hand. Nobody left out. Let's get some Michael Westland or different ones. Jack, turn around. Uh, there's a man right behind you. There we go. We just want to bless you now, Father, in the name of Jesus, because we know that you do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. And yet, Lord, sometimes by our feelings, we feel excluded from that blessed stream, that river. And so, Lord, right now, uh, I just want to pray that you would activate something in the spirit realm in the life of each one of these dear children of yours. And that's who we are, Lord, dear children. And so, Lord, release something in them, cause them to shift their focus from maybe circumstances or issues in their lives or relationships or even their own minds, their soul and cause them, God, to experience you afresh uh, out of that innermost being. You said rivers would flow, rivers of living water. So, Lord, uncork them right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that as they whisper their prayers silently to you, and as those are extending hands of faith and touching them, God, we're expecting that you would do something miraculous, something mystical, something uh, just amazing in each one of our lives because that's who you are. That's your nature. So we declare it today in Jesus' name and we receive it in his name by faith. And everybody said together, amen. 
Amen. We'll get hug, hug somebody and then have a seat if you would. And I want to jump right into sharing because um, we, for some reason, we started a little bit late today, and that's okay. Isn't it crazy how we get in these ruts? We got to do, we got to do, and we can't do, and we should do. Anyway, uh, turn to Matthew chapter six, and I'll be um, sharing out of Matthew chapter six. I know some of you are visiting today, and because of that, you're not aware of where we've been walking. Uh, but we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew five, Matthew six, and Matthew seven. And uh, today we're going to look at a passage of in Matthew chapter six. Uh, beginning, as you see here, at verse 16, and I'm going to read through the 24th verse. And uh, next week, we have a real special treat uh, because David Tepper, I think I see you back there, don't I, David? Wave to us. He's going to be sharing the word and finishing up chapter 6. So uh, be in prayer for him. You know, sometimes we get under the weight of expectations. I know that. So God, release your rivers in uh, David. And in me, Lord, it is not about us. It is about your presence in us in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, So we're going to talk today about treasures uh, in heaven or treasures in the heavens. And there are a couple of themes um, that we want to look at here. And uh, it's there's a couple of them, but they really sort of tie together. It's my attempt in prayer that we tie them uh, so, so let's begin reading, actually, in verse 16. Uh, it says, moreover, which means more over what we've just been looking at. And you'll see why in just a moment. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites uh, with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces uh, that they may be that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you. They have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your face, wash your face uh, so that you do not appear to men as you are as if you were fasting. But your father who is in the secret place um, and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. And then verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in the steel. But rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in the steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the lamp of the body is the eye. And if therefore your eye is good... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, it'll be a great darkness. How great is that darkness? Now, the last verse, verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and uh, love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. Now, it sounds like there's a lot in there, and indeed there is. But I think as we walk through it, we'll begin to see that uh, the first thing we should note is the word moreover in verse 16 um, is tying it to a number of other verses that we've already looked at. The, the verse 
here, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites uh, that they may appear before men. Now, if you look at uh, this verse, moreover, when you uh, fast, you have to connect it to what we've already looked at in chapter six, uh, which really is one of which is verse five on praying. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And then we also saw in verse two at the beginning of the chapter, uh, when you do your charitable deeds, don't be like the hypocrites. So chapter verse two of this chapter said, don't be like the hypocrites when you do a charitable deed or when you give something because they want to be seen by people. And then in verse five and following, we see Jesus said, don't pray in such a way to be seen by people because that's all you get. And now Jesus says, moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, for they think uh, that because they're fasting that they're going to get something. No, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So when you fast, when you pray, when you give, go into the secret place and your father who sees in secret, he will be the one who rewards you. So when you do, here's a principle, when you do. Any spiritual practice, don't do it in order to be seen by men. Now, that's real clear from so far what we've just read and what is in in the text. The principle, however, is that spiritual the spiritual discipline of secrecy, doing something in secret breaks the human bondage to seeking or needing the approval of other people. The play actors, the hypocrites, those who were living their own theater were uh, doing charitable acts in order to be seen. Those who were praying to be seen by men were doing so for their glory. And those now who were fasting want to be seen by men. Now, the principle then is that God wants to break the spiritual bondage in our lives that is sometimes still uh resident in our humanness and and he does it by the thing this thing called secrecy the discipline of secrecy strips me of my hypocrisy of wanting to be seen you say oh pastor steve you want, are you like that so are you in fact i remember and this just comes to me that uh, a number of years ago, um, I was uh, involved with my youngest son, Peter, um, and we were learning how to tie knots He in a Boy Scout, and he became an Eagle Scout. And in that time, we were learning how to tie these knots. And I was learning, too. I didn't know what a sheep's bend was, and I didn't know how to, you know, over the log and in the hole and around the tree and all that kind of stuff. But I had learned all of these knots. And in that context of learning these knots, um, I went out on someone's boat with him and coming back to the dock, I jumped off of the bow to tie up the boat and he was doing something was backing up and it was all appropriate. And I said, oh, oh hold on a minute. I'll tie a, a double sheep's bend or whatever it was. And he looked at me and he said, name dropper. And I thought, he's exactly right. There's a little bit of pride in me about knowing how to tie a stupid knot. I mean, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. You know, we have this in us that we want to be seen. We need to be seen. We need the approval of people. And sometimes we do our spiritual disciplines. Well, just a little bit of us wants 
credit for it. That, I think, is what Jesus is actually talking about here. And it's the discipline of secrecy that strips us from our hypocrisy. Therefore, when you give, give in secret. And God the Father will reward you. And secondly, when you pray in secret, pray in the secret place and your Father will, in fact, reward you. And when you fast, do that in secret because knowing your Father sees you and He's the audience that we want to please. The audience of one. Now, the question is, and we're going to zoom through this a little bit, how does God then reward you if you pray in secret, if you give in secret, if you fast in secret? This text says in three different places, God will reward you. So how does God reward us? I don't have time nor the intent uh, to, to, to uh, preach through and teach on how rewards in the scripture. And there are many. Um, and... <laughs> uh, Here's the major reward. I think when we do our spiritual disciplines in secret, one of the rewards is answered prayer. But the biggest reward is God himself, his presence. See, that's what we sang about. I love you. I love you. I love your presence. When we when we do our our disciplines in secret, we're rewarded with more and more of his presence, not as if you get more. We become more conscious that we are already his. Now, here's where in Genesis chapter 15, verse one, the word came to Abram, the man of the covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham that was then fulfilled in Jesus. And we are his children through Christ. God came to Abraham and he said, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. There is no greater reward, folks, uh, than understanding that he is our exceedingly great reward. Now, in Hebrews 11, it says this without faith, it's impossible to please him, God, for he who comes to God must believe that. He is, and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not to be seen, but diligently seek him, and God rewards us with his presence. More and more of our conscious understanding that he really is, A, among us, B, in us, and he wants to live his life through us. So God's own presence, then, is our greatest reward. And then Jesus, it looks like a, a different theme altogether. Jesus is tying up secrecy and rewards because your father sees you. And then Jesus sort of shifts uh, what he's teaching here. And look at verse 19. Verse 19 uh, says that uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Now, he, he then begins to set up another contrast. Jesus often taught with contrast. This is how they are. Don't be like that. This is who God wants you to be, kind of. Well, in this text, it says um, the contrast is don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth because there's no security in them. Because um, moths will eat it up, rust will destroy it, and thieves will break through to steal it. So, so, so there's no security that can really be trusted by massing our treasures only upon the earth. Because you know what? I do a lot of funerals, as does Pastor Jim, and we've never seen anybody take anything with them. 
Well, that's kind of a morbid thought, but that is true. And I think that's what Jesus is sort of intending here. Rewards in heaven, not upon the earth. So don't put your treasures in things on the earth because it's insecure, but rather build treasures in the heavenly realm, because in that place they are imperishable, undefiled, and they never will fade away. That's to use the Apostle Peter's words. See, that's where we want to build our treasures. And he is our treasure. Now, when we step through the veil of physical death, we step into the very reality of the presence of Jesus. And on that day, you and I will be astounded with the treasure that is there for us. The treasure of the presence of God in his fullness. The treasure of hearing, well done. Oh man, I thought I was, you know, I could barely limp along and I, you know, well done. My good and faithful servant, enter in to my rest. Now, so this treasure in heaven then is what Jesus is talking about. And the question then comes up, uh, do you want to know where your heart is? So Jesus is talking about rewards, and then he shifts to talking about treasures, either on the earth or in the heavens. And then he raises this question. Uh, actually, it's verse 21. Let me read it, which says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Do you want to know where your heart really is? Because if we don't, we will end up inevitably, inevitably being like uh, the the hypocrites that Jesus is talking about. Those who are doing their spiritual endeavors in order to be seen. They didn't care where their heart was. What they cared about is whether they saw people saw them and they got the accolades of men and women. That is the context of what Jesus is talking about here. And he says, do you want to know where your heart is? In fact, if you look at your treasure, um, you're going to find your heart. Now, a few months ago, our house was broken into. And uh, they got a bunch of jewelry and stuff. Now, my wife is not a big jewelry person, but she had a lot of sentimental pieces. Well, I went out and bought this big honking safe. What? <laughs> to put my treasure in. My guns. <laughs> I'm a hunter. I mean, you know, I, the fact of the matter is I saw something about my heart with my action with somebody coming into my house. Well, I'll fix you, you rotten scrawl. Get in that. Carry that thing away. 600 pounds or whatever it was. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you think I can save my, any security in my life because now I have a big safe? It's like, God... It's about my heart. And if you want to know where your heart is, look at where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Is it your wallet? What's in your wallet? Is it your safe? What's in your safe? You see what I'm saying? And we think that somehow, because we have a wallet, a bank account, or a safe... Hard currency, whatever your treasure is, that somehow is going to secure your life. And Jesus said, nah, probably won't. You see, what he's after is the heart, and that's been the teaching throughout the entire sermon. You know, where is your heart? The kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God uh, reaches from within the deepest resources of our heart and comes out of us by the Spirit. It's the consistent teaching with what he's doing. Now, 
He contrasts then the heart set on the visible and temporary things of earth, the heart, the treasure of the things of the world and your heart being set upon those things. He contrasts that to the heart set on the unseen riches of the kingdom, which is, in fact, God's presence. When I breathe my last breath, life isn't over. Life just begins. It'll be it'll be absolutely a a miracle for us. In fact, it'll be a miracle for every one of us. It's a miracle that I even get to go. It's the miracle of the new birth. It's the miracle of Jesus pressing his spirit into a dead man's heart and giving him life, forgiving his sin and saying, come on into the party. That's the nature of the kingdom. Repent uh, and embrace the good news of the gospel, because that's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is for Pastor Jim. No, the kingdom of God is for you. And all you have to do to receive it is to reach out and by the grace of God and the faith that he gives, receive the greatest gift that you could ever receive in all of your life, who is Jesus, the presence of God. Now, Jesus then goes into this in verse 22. We're almost finished. Verse 22, uh, this thing about the eye. And I didn't understand it for a long time. Uh, Verse 22 says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, uh, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, you'll be full of darkness. So good eye, uh, light, bad eye, darkness. And I thought I understood a little bit about it. You know, the, the eye, the lamp of the soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not what it means. And I could never sort of understand this until um, a number of years ago, um, this, this good eye, bad eye kind of thing. In fact, when you play bas- baseball, you know, you, you stand in the batter's box and the pitcher has to has to pitch into a zone and it's called the strike zone now if you have a uh, in little league baseball let's say if you have a passionate dad who's behind the dugout and uh the one a pitch comes in and the son goes and he lets it go because it was high and outside or low and inside often the dad will yell good eye well, what about if it goes in the strike zone and he doesn't swing? It's strike one. Bad eye. Now, that gives us a little bit, I think, of insight. That's not the Hebrew definition, good eye, bad eye. But it does kind of it, it kind of shows us how we even use the term today. If you're discerning about the zone and it coming in and you discern it's outside, low and away or high and out, you know, and we let it go, we got a good eye. Now, what this Hebrew word means, I've tried to interpret it all kinds of different ways. And the fact is, you just can't because it's a Hebrew idiom. What does that mean? It means it's a Hebraism. Only the Hebrews got this because it came out of their culture. Now, it means a generous person. Oh, rewards, treasures. And if your eye is good, if you're a generous person, your whole body will be full of light. Now, the way I got this was a guy named Dwight Pryor, who's since gone on to be with the Lord in 2011. And he was the founder of the Center for Judaic Christian Studies. And he came to the church where I was pastoring uh, two or three times. And he was a great teacher on Jewish roots. And he, he was teaching the Hebraisms of the Bible. And he said, this is one of the Hebraism. Hebraism. Yeah. Only Hebrews understand this. 
And when you have a good eye, you, you are a generous person. So then all of a sudden, the whole text began to open up for me, and I realized uh, that it began to make sense. People who live in the kingdom are not overly captivated by things. They have a kingdom heart, and therefore the things of the world, their treasures, don't captivate them and hold them. Uh, likewise, uh, they live in the reality to love God and respond to His love and to love people and to use things, our treasures, for the purposes of the kingdom. That's the highest purpose. That's what Jesus was saying. If you're good, if you have a good, good eye, it means you're a generous person. And you're able to understand that everything that you have been given by God is not for you and you alone. You know what? You came into the world naked and you'll go out with nothing. And everything we have in between being birthed and dying uh, isn't ours anyway. So why do we spend so much time laboring over the things that don't matter is what Jesus, I think, is saying here now. Rather than people who understand the reality of the kingdom, that, that they're responding to God's love and they love him and then they love other people and they use their treasures for the purposes of the king, the kingdom of God. There are people uh, who actually love things. That's their treasure. And they use God. Hello. And we use people for our own ends. That's what the hypocrites were doing. And that's what Jesus was saying. This is what people of the kingdom are like. They understand that they're involved with a king who owns everything. He provides for us out of his infinite riches in Jesus. Everything has already been given to us, whether we have a whole bunch of earthly treasure or whether we have very little. We are blessed from the foundation of the earth that we should be holy and blameless and live our lives before him in love. Now, this seems to be what the Lord is saying. Now, verse 24 then ends the discourse, the teaching, and it says, uh, you really can't serve two masters. Now, a master, something that has mastered me, is one who captures my heart and then influences how we live our lives. You can't serve two masters. You may not be able to see me you know, wink, but... You know, we live our lives this way. You can't, you can't serve two masters uh, because you either love the one and hate the other. You will really end up hating one and loving the other. It produces double-mindedness that, often lead, that will inevitably lead to idolatry. What do you really love? Where is your treasure really? Where is your heart? So Jesus said, at the end of the day, you can't love both. Well, I'm going to try for a while. You see, you can't long term love God and love riches either. Because you either love one and you end up hating the other. Or you'll be loyal to one and ultimately you'll be destroyed by the other. It's an issue of who is your master. Because you can't serve two and there's only one. The good eye is the person who has a generous heart of the kingdom, who's not uh, so impacted and consumed by the things, their treasures, but they understand the source of the kingdom, who is the king. They understand the source of all that God has given to us, 
And he's called us as kingdom people to love him and love other people and use our treasures for his purposes in the kingdom. Ends the text that I'm going to deal with this week. You can't love two masters. Who is your master uh, really? Now, there may be some here that are going, you know what? I, boy, this field, this, mm, man, uh, you know, because I'm walking between two. I'm straddling the fence. You know, that's a very precarious place to be. Straddling a fence. And God's simply saying, you know, you don't have to do that. I can be trusted if you trust in me with all of your heart because I've given everything to you already. So it's you can get off of the fence. That's a good thing. And come down with God, who is your master, and he will provide infinitely for you more than you could ever ask or think. And you might be here, you know what, and, and you've never really settled the issue of eternity with your own heart. You've never really said, God, I want to receive you. I want Jesus in my life. I want to stop limping between two opinions. And I want to settle this thing of I am a man of integrity, a woman of virtue. I want to live for you the rest of my life because of who you are. And that's who you are today. The good news is you can receive Jesus right into the infinite spot, the sweet spot of your life, your heart. And the way you do that is simply by asking and opening your heart and saying, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive all of my sin? That was what the cross was all about. He died. He paid the price. His blood is what forgives us. It's not your good works. Give it up. Just receive the free gift of his love, and he will start you on a very amazing journey that's really sweet. Well, let's pray together, and Dean, why don't you have your folks come back up, and we'll end at this point. Uh, Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to share your word, to understand a little bit more about it. But more importantly, Lord, help us by the working of your spirit to integrate it into our lifestyle, how we actually live. Lord, we really believe that you're calling us to Live out the teachings of Jesus, not just hearing about them. Be doing doers of the word and not just hearers deceiving ourselves. Uh, so, Lord, I want to bless these people today. And I want to ask Holy Spirit that if you have marked some today for a shift in their life uh, from limping between two opinions from make, to making you the Lord and master of their life, uh, Lord... Thank you that you don't take away uh, our treasures necessarily. You simply shift our priority to trusting you with all of them, knowing that you're a good dad. Our Father in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. I want to ask our prayer uh, partners, our elders who may be here and their spouses, some of our prayer team, if you'd come up and just be available. If you'd like special prayer before you slip out, we'd love to just pray for you. So let's stand. Father, we bless you today. We want to close with another song and just give you an opportunity here at the close for another moment where, Holy Spirit, you might speak to each one of us. And we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name.